I would ask you, if you would, please take your Bibles. And uh, if you've got it marked where we ended last week, you can just open it right there, even though we're starting a new, a new study this morning. We're in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, I believe we're just going to read the first couple of verses, but I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> James chapter 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Thus far, the reading of God's Word, you may be seated. What does a Christian look like? Are they tall? Are they short? Are they plump? Are they thin? Are they red or yellow or black or white? Are they rich? Are they poor? Are they loud? Are they quiet? We could go on and list all these. What, do, what does a Christian look like? Maybe all of these things, right? I think probably so. You can find a Christian in any one of those categories. So what sets a Christian apart from the rest of the world? What, what is it about us that someone in the world would look at and say, oh, Christian. Certainly our beliefs, our uh, beliefs in the Trinity and in the uh, incarnation and in the virgin birth and the vicarious atonement, in a little while, as we always do on the first Sundays, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed. And uh, certainly if someone in the world knew that those were things that we believed, maybe they would say, yes, you're a Christian. Or maybe they would be surprised that you would say you believe these things, right? When people of the world look at you, do they know that you're a Christian, whether you tell them or not? What is it about you that makes a difference that the world would look at and go, that person, something different about them, I believe they must be a Christian. What is it? Well, this morning we're beginning our study in the book of James. And uh, the book of James is a little different than what we've been studying. We, we spent... Uh, uh, I think two years in the book of Romans and then over a year in the book of Hebrews. We've been studying all of this doctrine, this, this uh, real, you know, th these are two of the most doctrinal books in the entire New Testament, Romans and Hebrews. And we've been looking at it to say, what is it we believe and why do we believe that way? Well, as we look in the book of James, we're not going to get so much doctrine like that. In fact, James only mentions Jesus twice by name, right here in the first verse, and then in chapter 2 in the first verse. And other than that, we're not talking a lot about, uh, we, don't, we don't see a lot of talk about Jesus and who he is and, and what he's done. Rather, the book of James is more focused on, since you believe this, how does it affect your life? What does it make you look like? Ligon Duncan said, All who are long on theory and short on practice ought to steep themselves in the spirit of James. 
The book of James is about the practice of being a Christian. What does it look like? What does it mean for us in our daily living that we call ourselves Christians? And so this morning we begin this study and we begin with some introductory information. I didn't put an outline in your bulletin this morning. I thought that it would be easy enough to follow without looking at it because we've got two main points, okay? And as we're doing introductory information, we're going to look at the author and we're going to look at the audience. I, hopefully you can get that, uh, you know, the, the two A's, right? Author and audience. Okay. And so if you're taking notes, those are the two main points. And so let's begin this morning is book of James with the author. And we see that right up front, don't we? The very first word, where he doesn't leave us to wonder like the book of Hebrews, it, that the author doesn't identify himself um, to us anyway. And so we're left to wonder who the author of Hebrews might be. We don't know for sure. But James is pretty definite, right? Right off the bat, he gives us his name. James, a servant of God. Now, just who is James, though? That's a question because there's more than one James in the Bible uh, in, and in the New Testament. We see uh, James, the brother of John and the son of Zebedee, uh, Matthew 10, uh, the ones that uh, Jesus called sons of thunder, right? Uh, Steve Brown used to say they were like the, the, uh, the uh, motorcycle guys, you know, uh, sons of thunder, um, and so James was, was one of the first disciples of Jesus. But we see in Acts chapter 11, James is martyred. He's one of the early Christian martyrs. Likelihood is that that James was martyred before this letter was written. So it's probably not that James. We see uh, in Matthew 10 as well, there's a James, the son of Alphaeus, and that's probably not the one either. But we do see, um, hold your place here, and if you want to look over to Galatians chapter, uh, chapter 3, excuse me, Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, we see another James. And Paul is talking about his trip to Jerusalem where he met Peter, and um, he said he stayed there with him for 15 days. And in verse 19, Galatians 1, 19, he says, said, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. The Lord's brother. What is he talking about? Well, Jesus had brothers. Did you know that? Jesus had brothers. We, we see um, from Matthew chapter 13, where he's first mentioned this James. Um, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 56, uh, we read this. Uh, talking of Jesus, it said, And coming to his hometown, he began uh, teaching them in their synagogue so that they became astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is, it not the, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get these things? Okay, so the religious leaders are looking at Jesus and, and wondering who he is. And he says, well, we see his brothers, and one of his brothers is James. Contrary to the teaching of certain large ch churches, Mary was not a virgin all of her life. After Jesus was born, she was, she was still a virgin until Jesus was born. But after that, 
Mary and Joseph had other children, including James. Okay? Now, at first, this James, uh, the brother of Jesus, he didn't really think too much of Jesus' talking about who he was. You know, um, In John chapter 7, we read, For not even his brothers were believing in him. James didn't necessarily believe in Jesus. I mean, he, he certainly knew, believed he was there, could see him and physically and life and everything and touch him, grew up with him. He knew he was there, but he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that was looked forward to in all the Old Testament and looking forward to him. So John, or excuse me, James didn't believe in him at that point. In Mark chapter 3, we read... Um, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, talking about Jesus. They went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. His family thought he was crazy. He's saying these things that just a sane person wouldn't say. He's gone crazy. Now, James grew up with him. He must have known there was something different about him. When James and his brothers would do things maybe to annoy their sisters, Jesus wasn't doing a part, wasn't a part of that. And they're looking at Jesus and maybe the favoritism of Mary and Joseph are possibly showing him. They don't really have to ever get on to him. He doesn't misbehave. Oh, Jesus, he's perfect, right? But here he is, he's grown up and he started his, his uh, public ministry. And they're thinking, I always knew something was different about him, and uh, he's, he must be out of his mind, as Mark relays to us. Now, I have three older sisters, and I really think they love me. I really do. They, they, they act like it anyway, which is a good thing. I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, if I started making claims about being a king, if I started making claims about being the one that would save the world... I am fairly certain that they're not going to drop all that they're doing and come follow me and become a part of my new religion. They would be crazy to do so. They grew up with me and, well, I don't know that I was the favorite. And I certainly know I wasn't perfect. And they would be able to look at me and say, no, that's not you. Well, I think James, looking at Jesus at this point, uh, he must be thinking the guy's out of his mind. He's going to get himself in real trouble. He's going against the religious leaders. Uh, he's spending all this time. He's not getting the rest that he needs. We need to go get him and take him away from all this. What could have happened to this James? What in the world could have happened to change his mind about Jesus? I believe the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is uh, talking about the resurrected Lord and he's giving some apologetic teaching about why we should believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And he says this in, in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most who, uh, whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. This is it, verse 7. Then he appeared to James, uh, then to all the apostles. What happened? to change James's mind about his brother. 
He saw him die on the cross. And now he sees him up and walking around and eating and saying, and, and telling Thomas, you know, come, come and put your finger right here. Put your hand right here. He met the resurrected Lord. And when you meet the resurrected Lord, it seems like no matter how skeptical you were before that, when you meet the resurrected Lord, it changes your life. Just like Thomas, he was skeptical. <laughs> I won't believe until, but once he meets him, it changes his life. And I believe that that's exactly what happened with James. He met the resurrected Lord and it changed his life and it changed his life for the rest of his life. I think it begins right away. Um, we see James seems to be committed to the Lord almost right away after the Lord's resurrection in Acts chapter 1. Almost immediately upon Jesus' ascension, uh, all the people are meeting together in one place in the upper room, devoting themselves to prayer. And there, were, uh, there was Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James. Uh, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. <laughs> there, they are. there he is, almost immediately, having met the resurrected Lord, it changed his life and it changed him forever and for good. <laughs> Paul refers to James as we've already seen when he's talking about he went to Jerusalem, stayed 15 days with Peter. He didn't see any of the other apostles, but he did see James, the Lord's brother. James seems to almost immediately begin to take a, a, a very important role there in, in Jerusalem. When an angel broke Peter out of prison... Um, he directed that James be told of this news in Acts chapter 12. Um, Peter gets out, he meets those who have been praying for him, and he motions with his hand for them to be quiet. He described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. James seems to have become quite important there in the church in Jerusalem. And we see in Acts chapter 15 where the first council of the church takes place there in Jerusalem. They've been speaking about what to do with all of these new Gentile converts that have come in. Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to continue to follow the, the, the rules and the ceremonial laws? And uh, Peter stands up and speaks and Paul speaks and then James stands up with the final word. If there was a leader in the early church, it definitely was James. And he speaks here in Acts chapter 15. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking the Gentiles as a people for himself. And the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. He quotes from, uh, goes on and quotes from the book of Amos. That God is bringing the Gentiles in and that they, he goes on to say, we don't need to burden them anymore. And, and James stands up and speaks and it's like the final word. Here's this James, the brother of Jesus, who was a skeptic, but when he met the resurrected Lord, it changed him. 
and he changed him so much so that he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Following uh, that council, uh, James was one of the three leaders of the church who commissioned Paul and Barnabas to take the gospel to the Gentiles. We find that in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul's talking about we were commissioned, Barnabas and I were commissioned to go and take the, take the message to the Gentiles. James was one of the ones that, that helped do that. So it makes changes one's life. It changes, when you meet the resurrected Lord, it changes your life to where you, you begin to live for him for the rest of your life. You're committed to him. It does something else as well. I think it makes you humble in the first verse of the book of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say James, the brother of our Lord Jesus. James, an apostle. Or he doesn't say James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He doesn't say these things. How does he address himself? I'm, I'm just a servant of God. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. It makes him humble sees himself simply as a servant. Christians' attitudes in our day, and I think especially in our country, maybe have some of this reversed. We so often think of God as our servant, and we begin to pray, Lord, give me. Lord, if you'll just do this for me. We think of him more as our servant. They're just to do for us instead of being a servant for him and doing what he calls us to do. That wasn't James's attitude. His attitude was, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm here to do what he wants me to do and he's told me to do. James continued as a servant of the Lord until the day he died. We're told in a different histories tell us that James was, became a martyr for Christ in 62 AD where he was thrown from the temple where we understand he was thrown from the temple but that didn't kill him and so another man comes by and seeing him there not dead takes a club and beat him to death James was a faithful servant of the Lord until his death he was sometimes called James the just which is evidenced by his devotion to prayer it is said that James's uh, knees became so calloused from prayer that they resembled those of a camel. How would you like to have camel knees because you're on them so often and praying so much? That was James. A life that was radically changed by meeting the resurrected Lord. And I think that if we have truly met the resurrected Lord, our lives will be radically changed as well and should be radically changed to complete devotion to him and all that we do. Well, that's the author, uh, James, uh, the servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, who's he writing to? Well, we see it in the next line there. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Um, I think most commentators uh, today believe that James was probably the first book of the New Testament to be written. Uh, possibly sometime 48, 49 AD. If this is the case, then it was written before the Council of Jerusalem. 
which was written in, or the Council of Jerusalem took place uh, 55, 56 AD. So it's quite possible that this letter was written before the Council of Jerusalem, before there was this mass influx of Gentiles coming into the church. And the church at that time would have been predominantly Jewish almost completely Jewish. You have a few Gentile converts coming in, but it was still, at that time, almost completely Jewish. And so James, in writing this letter uh, to these Jewish converts, he's thinking as a Jew. John Stevenson, the PCA pastor, has written a commentary on this, and he says, Christianity is not presented in contrast with Judaism. There is no... Uh, uh, us versus them mentality. Instead, Christianity is presented as a distinctly Jewish in a distinctly Jewish setting. The only distinction is that Jesus is recognized as the Messiah, the Lord of Glory. I think possibly these early Gentile or these early Jewish Christians might have thought much like American Christians do today. They were thinking that uh, since the Messiah had come and since they were part of his kingdom, they were very special. And therefore, when difficulty came upon them, they wondered why. I'm special. He sent the Messiah for me. Uh, James is going to encourage them to persevere in their hardships and realize that, that the Lord is using those difficulties to build them up. We're going to see this almost right away when he, when in verse 2, you see it, consider pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Don't, don't, be, don't be discouraged by it. Don't, don't give up, but you, you stand firm in the midst of this. Um, I, I think their temptation among the early church shows some bias towards rich people. We're going to see that. James is going to instruct them that they're not to show partiality to someone simply because they come in looking quite wealthy. He's going to encourage them in their humble settings. We see this right off the bat. Verse 9, uh, the, the brother of humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one, in writ, the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will, pa because he will pass away uh, like a wild flower. And so on. He talks much about this. And, and uh, if you find yourselves in a difficult financial uh, position, don't think the Lord is, is punishing you. He's not. Take pride in it. Rejoice in it. Rejoice in the fact that God has given you the greatest gift that could be given. He's given you himself. So he's going to encourage them to trust in the Lord for wisdom. Um, he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him pray for it, right? I'll talk much about trusting the Lord for wisdom. Mostly, though, as James writes this letter to the Jewish uh, Christians who have been scattered abroad, uh, about, he is, uh, he's writing them about how to live and not so much about doctrine. Again, to quote John Stevenson, he said, although Christ is mentioned in both James 1.1 and James 2.1, there is no mention of his death or resurrection. James gives us teaching of Jesus rather than about Jesus. Many people have misunderstood James to say that he contradicts the teachings of Paul, uh, that he is teaching a gospel of works for salvation. By the way, this is what Martin Luther thought, and he didn't think James should be included in the canon. 
Anyway, uh, so, so there are those who teach or think that he's contradicting Paul. He teaches a, a gospel of works for salvation. This is not so. James does not teach works for salvation. He teaches works with salvation. Did you get that distinction? If you're truly, if you're truly a, a child of his, if you're truly a believer in Jesus, it affects the way that you live, and you will have works associated with it. The early uh, Jewish church would have known Scripture quite well. They would have seen that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures. They have known that or should know that. It's a letter written to encourage them to live out that truth that they already know. I think most of us in here probably grown up in a, in a Christian setting. We've gone to church maybe all of our lives. And we always needed to be reminded of the work of Christ. That's the reason we have the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. That's the reason why most of the sermons in here will continue to focus us on the work of Christ for us and what he's done for us. We need to be reminded. Yes, we do. But there are times when we also need to be reminded that these beliefs change the way that we live. And our faith means that we act according to what God has called us to do. And so that's what we're going to see in the book of James. And so this morning, if you call yourself a Christian, and you think, well, I'm tall, I'm short, I'm plump, I'm thin, <laughs> all of these different things we might look, I want you to look at yourselves and say, what characterizes me as a Christian? What makes me truly look like a Christian? It's not the way I comb my hair. It's not the clothes that I wear. It's the way that I live. And I hope that as we go through this book of James, you're going to see it, and it's going to begin to work its way out in your lives so that more and more we look like Jesus. And that's what he's calling us to do. Well, let's pray.